The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 82 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and I'm so thankful you decided to drop by again this week. We've got a fantastic conversation coming up, but before we get to that, I just want to thank all of you who have been reaching out. I've gotten so many messages lately, email and on Facebook and through Messenger. Uh, It's just fantastic. I love getting to know so many of you. I appreciate the feedback and the guest suggestions. It's just awesome. And I actually had a really cool opportunity this week to have lunch with one of our listeners, Scott Burke, who is the brother of Jeff Burke. I was in town and Scott and I went out to lunch with Jeff, who's an old friend of mine. You should listen to Jeff Burke's episode of the show. Uh, But it was fun to meet Scott. He's been a great supporter of the show all the way along. And I just fun to meet him. We started talking about what we're going to do for the 100th episode. And it was just fun to see him and always good to see my old friend Jeff. So please keep those messages coming. They they mean the world to me. I really appreciate it. This week in the conversation, my guest is Brad Barton. And be prepared to be blown away by Brad. He is such an amazing guy. Brad and I met many years ago, and I was so impressed with him then, even more impressed with him now. And I'm grateful we caught him at the time that we caught him, because I think he's just in a place right now in his life to share such an important story and such an important message, and you are absolutely going to love it. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you some unexpected consequences from a broken heart. It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week in the Latter-day Live studio, it is my honor, absolute honor, to have with me a speaker, an athlete, just such an amazing man, and a man I'm grateful to call a friend, Brad Barton. Welcome to the Latter-day Live studio. Thanks for having me, Sean. I am so excited, as I told you, because your story is so compelling in so many ways. And I actually had you on the list for a while as a guest. Right. And then I saw your High Five Live, and I thought, man, we just, we have to have Brad on to tell his Mm -hmm. story. So uh, a lot of facets to your story. We're excited to hear it. Tell us where you're from, where you grew up. I was raised, born in Ogden, native Ogden, Utah, uh, raised on a a dairy farm in West Layton. We had a 350 cow dairy farm growing up. That's a big farm, 350 cow. Yeah, it was. It had 400 acres of row crop, and we usually had 40 acres of... uh, of um, cash crop, onions and sugar beets and whatever. Um, my brothers and I dealt with a bunch of calves, you know, about 50 calves all the time, uh, training them how to um, drink from a bucket, from a, you know, getting them from a, a nipple to a bucket. I mean, it was just very interesting experience. When I was 13, my dad sold the, actually traded the ground in the farm for a cattle ranch near Salmon, Idaho. Wow. So that's really central, um, central east Idaho, extreme east, right next to the Continental Divide. In fact, our home was closer to Montana than it was salmon. But that was uh, an interesting experience as well. 
being raised on the back of a horse and moving sprinkler pipe and uh, and feeding calves in the in the winter time and and then moving rocks in the spring. I mean, it was a year round uh, work uh, workaholic type of a situation. It was really really a wonderful way to grow up. Are you are you a natural rancher farmer? Like, did you like the early morning, be with the animals, all that stuff? No. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> like my dad, because I was such a poor student, and we might get into that too, um, that he would he would um, threaten me, you know, if you don't do better on your grades, you're going to have to do this for your living, something like this. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do have it in my blood. I've raised my kids city slickers, and yet I have, uh, well, right now 56 beehives, We've got, you know, three gardens. It's in my blood. So Yeah, you were kind enough to bring me some fresh honey that I cannot wait to dive into. Yes, so I did. And then you didn't notice the label. It's called Bee Magic. Bee Magic. <laughs> I didn't even see that on the label. Yeah. Oh, I saw your name on it. That's awesome. Well, because magic plays a big role in your life. Brad, you are such an interesting guy. So you grow up that way. How many siblings do you have? There's nine of us. Nine? Yeah, I'm smack in the middle of nine children. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my mom and dad had nine kids for cheap child labor. <laughs> they worked us hard and we played hard as well. Wonderful um, uh, upbringing, very close family. I think uh, close because we we worked so hard together. Yeah. Were you raised in the church? Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. mom and dad were very active in church. And It's uh, funny because you say Ogden, Utah, nine kids. But I still don't want to just assume it. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's yeah. someone in Ogden with nine kids who's not a member of the it's church. It's not a but, member, right. But there, there's a pretty safe bet anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you grow up, what were you into in high school? When did running start? Did that start during high school, during your formative years? Right. So um, I I was super underweight and um, and I got teased a lot. I was a lixtexic uh, student. Uh, <laughs> that thank, took me a second. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, with with fairly severe learning disabilities, it was. It, I mean, there's just so many levels of awful trying to grow up in yeah. in the system, and especially back then, they didn't have the the resource that they do now in terms of you know even knowing how to deal with somebody that doesn't that doesn't process the way most kids do, and so I was I was a bit in trouble. I really believe that the only reason I didn't fail my grades is that the teachers are just so um, so sick of me after nine <laughs> months in class. They're like, get him out of here. That's funny. And so I ended up in going to high school, and I was really small. And I ended up on a wrestling team. I just felt like I should do this. And my my dad, uh, I remember that, that uh, winter, Dad, um, the cattle prices were poor, so he was going to hold the, 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 all the calves over. And, uh, and my mother, my angel mother, he said, he just announced that I'm not going to be able to wrestle. And my mother put her foot down and she says, by darn. And she didn't cuss, but she cussed that time. (laughs) So I'm paraphrasing, by darn, my son will wrestle. And that maybe saved my life. No kidding. Because that, that set me on a a course. Our um, wrestling coach is an old Orthodox Greek, Greek Catholic, George Artemis, born on the Isle of Crete. (laughs) And that man loved me into loving myself. So that is awesome. Did you take to wrestling pretty naturally? I did. Yeah, I, I, I was small and undersized, but always uh, felt like I had a superpower. Because every time we'd go do anything physical in elementary school, I could always beat everybody. I was faster. I was more agile. I just, I just was. I just remember I didn't understand it. I, my, I wasn't sophisticated enough to realize. But I had a superpower. I was an athlete. So wrestling came really easy for me. 
And I had some good success when I finally got big enough to actually get into the weight classes. <laughs> yeah. Because I was way below even the lowest weight class when I was a freshman. But um, but he told me that I could be a state champion someday if I if I worked harder than anybody else. And um, and and that they would give me a scholarship. Dad laughed when I came home and told told him, Coach, my or my dad, my, uh, my coach told me I could go to college, and, and, and on a scholarship. And my dad just laughed. He in, in scorn. He just thought that was the funniest thing he's ever heard. But um, but after things started going well, then Dad started leaning into that and would actually yeah. take me. Um, take me to different races and we got to anyway it was in fact my dad actually uh, was instrumental in getting me a scholarship he knew the the head coach at weber state Mm. and that was the only four-year college that was even interested in me as a runner because i was a good wrestler i was a very good runner well did you start running at the same time did you start no uh, my my best friend which he was a state champ one of the best uh, wrestlers in the state um, wanted me to go out for cross country so I could have another kid to beat. His name is Kip French, and uh, a really good four square gospel uh, uh, Christian kid. Yeah. Wonderful family. Love loves Kip. Still stay in touch with mo- my second mom and dad, the, the Frenches. And um, anyway, he he just wanted another kid to beat. Well, he beat me by a minute the first cross country race, two seconds the second. I beat him by two seconds, the third race, and by the fourth race, I beat him by a minute, and he never came close again. I had found my calling and I realized that I was a, a wrestler second, but, but the running was, real, that was what I was going to be good at. So you get done with high school. Yeah. Where did that take you next? Well, I, there's, the only school that was interested in me was Weber State, yeah. and a, a man named Chick Hislop, and I didn't know enough to know how impressive this man was at the time. But he came, actually, my dad invited to fly him to Boise for the state uh, cross-country meet, uh, mm. meet. So I give my dad a lot of credit for uh, yeah. for putting, I mean, dad has a, a lot of credit. He taught me how to work, and he's a good man with good heart, and just some, anyway. Sure. Um, so I get to to to, um, to to a recruiting trip, and he says, I think you can be an All-American steeplechaser, which is mm. really quite ridiculous when I get to college and realize there's eight freshmen on the team. He's given scholarships to two of us. The fastest guy, um, Bob Durchy, another great member of the church, wonderful man. He ran it like a like a, a four sixteen mi- mile in high school. Wow! And then there's then there's uh, six other guys that are not quite that fast. And then there's me, the slowest guy at four thirty two in the mile, which is like boat slow compared to. to that blows me away that a four minute and 32 second mile is considered oh, slow. Super slow. It wouldn't be recruitable these days, but coach Hislop, this, this, this guy is like a savant. He sees, he sees the potential in the fastest and the slowest. And those are the guys that got the scholarship. <laughs> and, and, and those were his two best runners of that, of that class as well. Did you gravitate more than to long distance or were you no speed never built for, as a long distance runner um i just couldn't handle the mileage my yeah. my body would break down but coach hislop actually took the inter the, the 400 intermediate for high school kids it's 300 intermediate hurdle discipline and and actually planned it that right over the top of the steeplechase in fact he even renamed it for us mm-hmm. he says it's the 3000 meter uh, not the steeplechase, but the distance hurdle event. And you're not steeplechasers, you're distance hurdlers. He taught us how to hurdle. Mm. And because we were more efficient over the barriers, and there's so many barriers over 3,000 meters, we could beat kids 
that were much more talented than us. So in a flat race, we wouldn't have any business even being on the starting line with these guys. <laughs> we can beat them to the finish line in the steeple because we were better. We were better uh, um, uh, technically over the barriers and the water. That's awesome. Yeah. What was your experience at Weber State? You love it? Incredible. Yeah, it's a wonderful school. It's a great school. I started at Weber College and um, I was there for a year and really lackluster academically and um, and in a lot of other ways. <clears throat> Athletically, I worked really hard, but I just I just wasn't physically mature enough. Mm. Um, and um, my mission really saved my my running career. Where'd you go on a mission? I served in the greatest mission in the world. According to my patriarchal blessing, yeah, of course, <laughs> the, the Santa Rosa, California mission. Oh, I love Santa Rosa. It's a fantastic place. Yeah. Had a great two years, of rejoicing. It was uh, super hard, um, and uh, just incredibly. I don't know. It was just. A, it was life changing for me. It's awesome. I had a, a, a Dow Chemical C level executive. He was the. He was think of the, this huge corporation. Yeah. He was the chief. Um, Human Resource Officer of Dow Chemical, Robert C. Witt. That man uh, was hugely important for me. He gave me opportunities to serve in leadership positions and trusted me. And I came home uh, three inches taller. I was 30 pounds heavier. I had grown up spiritually uh, and uh, emotionally. I'd grown up physically and, and uh, athletically. I was just, I was just better. All out sprint, I could run a, a 58 second quarter before my mission. Yeah. I got about from my mission, I could run 51, which isn't super fast. No, but the, but, what's but, amazing but for about a dis- it. middle distance runner, I'm in the money now. I can make the Olympic team with that kind of leg speed. What's amazing about it is, you know, you expect that you're going to lose a lot during your mission. You know, everybody's thinking, got to come back, you're going to spend a year trying to get it back, but yeah. you came back stronger. I came back stronger. It was uh, it was about seven months to get my uh, my IT band issue solved from training too quickly, too fast. Mm. And uh, I was well somewhere in there. Coach pulled me aside um, into his office, and for about ninety minutes, he said, "There's no Weber State University athlete that's ever made the Olympic team in the in um, in, in track and field." He said Farley Gerber was close. He was the alternate. With Henry Marsh made the team uh, in in eighty four, but um, but I believe that you can do this. And then he taught me all the reasons why that was fairly unlikely. And then he went through and talked about the strengths that he saw in me as a runner, and helped me how to inspiring. how we we're going to uh, countermeasure some of my, my deficits. And yeah. he says, Brad, let's go do something that's never been done. And I and awesome. I I put my heart and my soul into that, and and we worked really hard and. So and, where did running take you from there? Well, I ended up not making the Olympic team. I crashed over the last water barrier in the semifinal. I didn't even make the finals. I ranked 19th in the world that year, uh, 1992, for the Barcelona Games. And uh, I had a mishap in the last water jump and just uh, mm. um, and and didn't 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 make even make the finals. It was very just devastating. So was that the end of your thought as a running career? No, no. It was about a month of pity party. And just, uh, you know, loathing my luck. Of course. And I called my coach and I said, let's go to Atlanta, (laughs) (laughs) which coach uh, was an Olympian in Atlanta. He was voted by his fellow coaches as the head Olympic distance coach for the summer games in Atlanta. But um, before the trials, I ripped something on my hip and flew around the country trying to find a surgeon that could help me. And 
I'm going to take my piriformis out. I mean, it was really awful. And I decided to not do that. And, and I tried and tried and tried to get healthy for years and, and ended yeah. up, it was the end of my, my running career. That was the end part one. That was it. Yep. Yeah. Done. Doing something that had never been done was not going to happen. Now, you stop and think about it. it was over eight years of my life that I singularly focused in on doing something that hard and, and that, and that significant. Um, it was, uh, you know, this huge void. So, so now did you, did you study anything in school that would give you a career or were you focused on, I'm, I'm Brad the runner? Actually, actually, as of after my mission, I came back and got almost straight 4.0s in college, you Mm. know, with my learning disabilities and all, I just figured out how I learn, which is way different than, than the the way that school was teaching. But in college, it's way different. And uh, those of your listeners that are scared of going to college, it, it, you can do this. You just got to figure out how you learn. And once you get in a discipline, once you get, uh, once you get some momentum for something, then everything gets easier. One thing that coach taught me years ago, he says, Brad, you're going to do a thousand hard things to make the Olympic team. Hmm. So you can either make a thousand hard choices to do those thousand hard things, or you can have a decided heart, make it one hard choice to do those thousand hard things and then half the job is over. Wow. Now you have to do is just go do the hard things. Oh, I love that so much, Brad. Love it. And there and that sounds I mean it sounds really great. It actually works. Yeah, <laughs> I mean decide. it works. It works but if you, know, you work I mean it. there's a gospel theory there too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean I'm part of my job. I'm out at restaurants and bars. I don't have to decide every night that I don't drink. Yes. When I'm out with people. Yeah. I decided one time I don't drink yeah. and so I think there's a, a wonderful gospel principle there and just a great life lesson yeah, on top of it. Absolutely. So you get done with college. What's next for Brad? Um, I married a girl on the track team. She was an Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon. So that's why I was asking about your wife's marathon yeah. time because I know women marathon times. Yeah. So she, she'd run a, um, eight, uh, she'd run a, a, a marathon in, in two, 249.45 mm. And uh, qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials. Well, we figured we'd get together and have some hybrid kids, and we've got some really fast You're kids, have the fastest kids in the world. We do have some great, <laughs> really fast kids, and yeah. uh, they're. I would, you know, to talk about their. I mean, it's, one of my sons uh, ran uh, like well, he ran an eight fifty one uh, two mile in in high school. Mm. which is, yeah, it's just impossibly fast. That's incredible. So really, really uh, a neat family that we, we raised. And, and, uh, uh, Lydia, my, my wife was, uh, she was, uh, um, very active in coaching and had some great track teams at we, at, uh, at Ogden high school. And, uh, our sons were, were very competitive and, and did well. And our daughter and, and you were a running family. We're a running family, yeah. Yeah. How were you supporting the family at this time? So, um, you ask about my what I studied. I studied uh, logistics, business logistics, and psychology. Yeah, wow. Good <laughs> which seems kind of weird. And then I started a career at Weber Human Services, the municipality there in Ogden, Utah, as a drug prevention specialist, a substance abuse and violence prevention specialist. Mm. So I did that for 10 years. And along the way, about five years into that process, uh, I saw a speaker use magic 
from the stage teaching the four steps of goal setting with an, with an illusion. And that just mesmerized me. And I've always been interested in magic. And so I went and bought a trick and um, started using it on stage with the kids and doing assemblies and things. And I just added to my repertoire. And, you know, five years later, I was making more of my income speaking fee-for-service outside the three school districts I was serving mm. than I was working my day job. So I quit my day job. <laughs> and so and you I, became a full-time speaker. I was a full-time speaker. And... Uh, that was early 2000s, maybe 2001, yeah. and I've never looked back. I've had a great time. And and I have only had the privilege of seeing you speak live once. You and I did an event together. Yes, we did. Washington? Montana? Uh, so somewhere. We did it out of state somewhere. It was Washington uh, State for a Washington State summit of business summit or something. Yeah. Me, you, and Jason Hewlett. Yeah. And that was really fun. Uh, but you are a brilliant speaker. So you found your calling. I mean, you're so natural, much, much more natural on stage than I am, for sure. So uh, I'm very impressed with your speaking. So you good. take off on this speaking career. You're mixing magic yes. with speaking. And and then got a chance to to do something in a, in a for a business. And I was very scared about that because I was great at teaching teachers and inspiring them and, and training kids. Well, I just, I found out that we're all big kids, right? <laughs> and everybody loves magic. When I'm speaking to coal miners uh, or whether I'm speaking to rocket scientists, um, I've spoken in, you know, in finance. Uh, it, I've done a ton of different industries yeah. and, and magic is, it, it always works. Magic has become less and less important to me on stage um, as my message is really fleshed out, this notion of uh, inspiration and, and leadership. And I remember, it's so funny, I, I mean, this was many years ago that you and I were talking after you spoke, and I remember we were talking about magic and uh, how you were saying magic is a little bit different now, too. It is. Because yeah. people search your trick on the internet. Yeah, when I think a, they know how to do when it. A, when a kid can can see the end of my trick and how it's done before I'm done do, doing the trick, yeah, magic is over. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. You've We're, got these other messages, yeah, for sure that you get out and you speak. I know you speak a lot about you know goal setting and positive. Mm -hmm. You're just a generally positive guy. So, um, how much do you speak about running when you speak? I I used to not do any of that, but yeah. I hope we have the time to to get into some of the the master stuff that I did because that's becoming more and more important. Let's do it. Tell us about I, it. I, I do want to tell you. Um, I mentioned Olivia, my wife of of uh, twenty seven years. Yeah, we have uh, six children together, and uh, and um, just a wonderful marriage, Sean. Yeah. And there's something that really traumatic that happened to our family, and it just tore our family apart. And uh, well, our marriage apart, and yeah. so my my wife uh, was not able to be married to me anymore, gotcha. and it was. Uh, and I don't want to blame her for for this terrible thing that was not her fault. It was not mine. It wasn't our kids' fault. It was just some. There's some evil people in this world that do evil things, and uh, something really bad happened. The, the The gospel was always where I was a very gospel centered home. And uh, raised our family, our family in the church, and so um, uh, that's the thing that helped. I think all of us through that that those hellish years, where we were trying to decide if we could even stay together, and after uh, after just a few, you know a bunch of years, it just was. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't want to go and dwell on that. But I, I do have a couple of questions if you're open to talking about it. Um, sure. I you know I I I can hear the pain still. Of course. How long ago was the divorce? Yeah, it was. Uh, 
It started in 2016, the actual, that part, and it was done uh, late 17. Yeah. yeah, so this is very recent. Yeah. And, and a lot of pain. What, what uh, you've got a year, you've got a little bit of distance, and in a little bit we're going to talk about some good family news, <laughs> some happier news than this. Right. But finishing up on this theme, what are some what are some lessons you've learned looking back? And I would I would ask especially because, you know, it's it's more and more common. And, yeah, it is. And the blessing is, I think it was always somewhat common, but we all hid it in a closet. Yeah. But now we talk about it, and because it is, it's our friends, it's our neighbors, it's our family, it's ourselves going through divorce. You know, what did you learn about the gospel and about yourself? This is a, um, I think it's becoming less so, but it's a married church. We've had, we we belong to a a married church, right? We have, we have, that's centered around families and marriages. And, and when you're, um, um, I don't even know how to say this, very unhappily and unwillingly forced into a, a singlehood, it's tough. I mean, it's crazy tough. Yeah. There's so many levels of it, and the the shame that goes along with it. I mean, it was, this is horrible. Um, I this is one thing I wanted to leave, to leave with your listeners. God lives, Sean. God lives, and He's mindful of us. Mm. Every one of your listeners, I can say that's true because He was mindful of me. Mm. I I love this the notion of wet fleeces, dry fleeces. I think most people know what that is from the Old Testament story. Yeah, sure. Right. I got so many wet fleeces when I just badly needed them. There were so many dry ones. It was just, for the first few weeks when it was just, just I, I wondered if I would live through the, you know, the next 24 hours. There was a miracle. I mean, every day it was like a crazy, awesome miracle. And the next day it was another one, and another one, and another one. And I begged and pleaded for my miracle that I wanted, but he gave me other ones instead to say, hey, I'm right here, gotcha. I gotcha. And it was just enough to keep me alive for one more day rather than just have my heart break altogether and be dead. You know, just my heart stop. I wondered if I would, you know, still be alive in the morning. It was so bad, you know, to have my sweetheart, you know, reject me. But um, anyway, it was, it was tough. Uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, but God it. was with me all the time. He was right there. So I'm sure we have listeners who are going through something similar. What advice do you have? You're on the other end. That's always where the great advice comes from is, hey, I've been through this. Yeah. You're on the other end of it. I haven't been through that. What's your, what would you tell people who are going through something similar to this? Um, someone told me, um, Cordell Norton, one of my speaking friends said, Brad, there's no way through this except for through it. You're going to have to experience every ounce of pain. You can't shortcut any of that. So just deal with the pain, but lean into God. And that's what I've done. And, um, and he didn't make it easy, but he did make it possible for me. Yeah. And there was just, you know, so many different, I mean, the, the, the church was a huge help for me. I remember, you know, in sacrament meeting, they're singing this, families can be too. And I just could not sit there and I'd leave and I'm You want to run, throw a hymn book at someone. Running across the parking lot, just in tears. And the bishop runs off the stand and runs out and meets me in the parking lot. And we just embrace. I mean, that was... It was good stuff. Yeah. It helped me through that. So got through it, and um, and um, Olivia is doing great, I'm happy to say. And uh, our family is, you know, That's awesome. making it happen. And 
And then uh, when it was all over, finally, I got on Match.com, baby. <laughs> you got on Match.com? I did. See, guys are getting on Match.com. Like it, was, it was such an awful thing to consider. I mean, yeah. that's How the, hard was it to build out a profile for oh, you? Oh, it was awful. It was worse you than awful. You got to talk about yourself. You got to say, here's why yep. I'm awesome, ladies. Yep. yep. And so, my, my, but I was committed. I, I was, my deal, I was going to have five contacts a day, baby, right? This is it. <laughs> And so I, I, I did my research, swiping left, swiping right, swiping left, swiping right, asking God to have me, give me some strength mm. and confidence. And I would do four real approaches, you know, how you doing? Here's, you know, would you like to take this further? And then one Hail Mary pass every day. That's kind of my thing. And one of my Hail Mary passes actually responded strategy. to me. And her profile starts off, I love to work. Give me a pile of rocks in the backyard, and I'm happy to move, and I'm happy as a clam. That's my wife. We met um, in September, late September of 2017, and, uh, and it, was just, it was just within a few weeks we knew. And so we were married. That was like over, just barely over um, uh, three months after we met. Amazing. And she's great. She's got uh, six kids as well. So I have two boys. And and four girls, and she's got four boys and two girls, so we got a dozen. Wow, Brad, <laughs> one, that is a lot. One of them is in a, a uh, Gabe is our, her oldest. Uh, my oldest son, a uh, stepson, yeah. is uh, on a mission in Kentucky right now. So how incredible! Yeah, yeah. I I gotta say, I was uh, looking through on Facebook and looking at the pictures of your wedding, and your face. To I could see the pain behind the joy that the pain yeah. was gone and the joy was there. Yeah. And that, you know, to see God's plan that way and to see you finding her and her finding you is, is just awesome. And you know what? Uh, One of the things that the church has to do because it's a culture, it's not, there's nothing doctrinal certainly about it, but one thing we need to do as a church is just recognize we are all different types. One of the things I love that we were talking about before we started recording is you said going through the divorce part of it. You had to confront your own feelings about people with divorce. Yeah. You know, I we probably I, all have weird little things that we don't even know are there. I didn't realize that I had any judgment about people that were divorced until I was in that situation unhappily and realized that I'm judging myself for being a failure and all that, you know, layers and layers of awful that go with that. And I've realized that I've got these judgments. I must. You must, because if you because feel they show about up, you, they're showing up right now, right in in me. So I must. They must have been there all along. So I guess maybe a challenge for all of our your listeners, Sean, is uh, um, is to reach out to somebody that is in a situation that's going through crazy times. Yeah, because it is a crazy time. I can only it's imagine. It's a crazy time. And here's another, uh, just an encouragement that I would give everybody. Um, I thank God now for, to say unanswered prayers isn't true, because I, I pleaded. They were, they were plead. I pled with God to change my wife's heart. And, uh, and now I'm thanking God for unanswered pleadings. His yeah. unanswered prayer. Uh, m- b- Melissa, I call her my Blissa. My Blissa. Because <laughs> she is amazing. <laughs> And uh, I, um, yeah, she's That's she's wonderful. really something else. Uh, Brad, I just I love that as part of your story. And now we come to what you're most well known for, and what I can't wait. This master's talk. So you in our chat before we you hit record, 
you said that you woke up one morning and you said to your wife, I'm going to do a podcast. Yeah. Because you felt like you were called to do it. That's how I started. I felt called to it. So everyone listening, what have you been called to do in the past that you knew you had to do? Makes sense at the beginning, made sense at the end, wherever. Maybe it never made sense, but you knew you had to do this thing. Shauna, I, after 19 years, I woke up one morning and I, I thought, no, why would I do, nah. And I fought it for a little while, but I just knew I was supposed to get back on the track. I, I went in to run a mile. That was an old man, right? And I'm supposed to run a mile. I remember going into the, to a, a, to a, a running store and I bought a pair of track spikes. I don't have any track spikes anymore, right? Yeah. And I, I was embarrassed. They said, well, who are the track spikes for? You got us. And I know they're for me. And I felt embarrassed <laughs> buying my own track spikes. But that's how bad it was. You were a world-class runner. How I, could you feel this disconnected? I knew that I was supposed to get back on at 44 years old and get back on the track. At 44. Yeah. And, and I, it, it didn't make any sense to me. I was too busy to do this because it takes a lot of time. And I just was, I, I remember thinking, okay, I'll just lean into the, to the, the, the intense curiosity. Can I break a mile, a five-minute mile? I remember thinking that. And I trained for about three months and broke a, I ran four, 43. And that fast after three months? Yeah, after age th- 44? Yeah, yeah. I'd run a little bit here and there over the years, but I wasn't fit. But you weren't training. No. And uh, so I'm working out with Olivia's track team. She was uh, the, the high school track team at Ogden High School in, in Utah. Well, help, help our listeners understand what kind of training we're talking about. I mean, is this a quick run every night? Is this three no, hours a day? No, this what, is, what is this? This is low mileage because of my knees. I have a bucket handle lateral meniscus tear in my left knee, and uh, I can't do a lot high, high mileage. So it's mostly um, interval training. So short. Um, you know, 400, 600, 800, thousand meter intervals, short rest and do it again, short rest, do it again. So it's an interval training. And uh, so it's very intense and quite painful. And I ran a 443 mile and I just shocked, uh, uh, hands on knees, death grip thinking, dang, because that's really fast. That's really fast, and, uh, Brad. And then, I, and then I ripped my, my quad muscle. Oh, no. <laughs> I was in Odessa, Texas, speaking for a for a, a, a credit union doing a track workout uh, the day, the morning before I spoke and mm. I ripped my quad muscle. Well, then it, it took months to heal. The next year, I'm feeling this burn again, thinking, why? I thought I got this out of my... I did it. I ran, I ran under five minutes. I had to do this. So I trained even longer and I ran a mile in 435. Wow. And, and then I ripped my quad again. It took months to heal. Well, I called my old retired college coach. He's been retired six years. Chick Hissel, this famous um, track coach. And I said, Coach, I ran 432 last year. And he said, you did what? How old are you? <laughs> and he says, what's the world record in the master's age group? 45 years to 49 years. I don't know. We looked it up. 420.19. Some freak of nature. John Hinton is his name. You're that close. Ran a mile. and f- Well, but no, in miles, I'm not that so in miles close. Speak, 435 to it, 420 is massive. It's, a, it's an order of magnitude. It's a world. It's huge. Right. Yeah, yeah it's okay. huge. And to, I, to me, you know, I mean, I hear it and I go, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. But I guess, yeah. I mean, when I watch the Olympics, I know that sprints are seconds. Well, yeah, sprints are hundreds. But I mean, I'm, when I'm listening to a 435, you're gunning it through a mile. That's that's pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fast. Yeah. So I said, "What do you think, Coach?" And he says, "Well, here's what I think. I think it's time to come out of retirement, you and I." 
and we had to go do something that's never been done. He used the same words, Sean, <laughs> that he used all those years before, where we failed at making awesome the Olympic guy. team. And so we started working together in 2012. And remember the world record, 420.19. I ran a 426 that spring. Two weeks later, I ran a 423. Two weeks later, I broke my foot. (laughs) So now I've got a stress fracture on my foot. And Coach is joking, well, maybe we figured out why that's a 30-year-old world record we're trying to break. <laughs> you know, maybe we can't, maybe a, a someone as old as you can't train hard enough to run any faster than, than, than 420.19. And so um, we decided that, that um, he was going to reinvent what it meant because he was trying to train me like he used to. You know, he's this world-class expert at training kids. He's got an old man here, right? So we, we changed out the, the formula. And, and um, he's a technician. He knows what he's doing. Came back in 2013, and the training was very, very different than it was. So a lot of things the same, uh, but, but quite different in some of the aspects. And uh, to, to give myself more rest, one thing that we did is instead of three hard inter- interval workouts a week, we, we went to two, which we were concerned wouldn't get me fit enough, but it's worked out very, very nice. But to give me extra rest between 45 year, uh, 46 years old at this point, I ran 426, and then I ran 421, and went to Boston, the Reggie Lewis Center, and ran 424 with a terrible head cold. Went to to Cornell two weeks later to break the world record, and I fell in the second lap. And I separated my shoulder. Um, I jumped back up, and I sprinted, and I raced in, and I ran 428. And, And this is something that's I don't know. There's no way I could tell you the, 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 the story with the significance that it really deserves. But I'm in a stairwell at Barton Hall. It's the, I'm Brad Barton, right? A place is called Barton Hall where this, yeah. this 200-meter intro track is housed. And I called my coach. And my arms are still burning. I could barely hold the phone. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm emotional. And I called my coach. And I said, Coach, I can't do this. It's too hard. And my coach yells at me, remember what we're doing here. And I'm like, we're doing stuff that's never been done. He says, if this was easy, it would have already been done. And I knew he was right. And then his voice softened and he said, "Uh, get back on the plane. We'll get Dr. Sharman to look at your shoulder and I'll I'll adjust some workouts. I'll call the Columbia coach and get you in that last chance meet at Cornell or at at, uh, Uptown Manhattan. And um, it was, I think, the 2nd of of March, 2013. I uh, stepped on the track there at the Armory, a very famous indoor track, and um, in a with a group of uh, of um, Ivy League kids, I ran four six. Coach and I ran four sixteen point eight three, and took three and a half seconds off the world record. So and that's the, it. You and were the, the new world record holder. That was that was a really you were the fastest experience. man your age for that distance. Yeah, no no human being has ever run that fast ever. at that point. Um and uh, in, indoors and um it was a it was a pretty incredible experience. Went on that spring to a set of American records in the 3000 meter steeplechase, which was an interesting experience going over barriers, 36 um, inch high barriers at at 47. Now I'm 47 years old, um, but um, I I missed the world record. Uh, one of my corporate sponsors, Getaway Today, the sure. Disney the Disney folks sent me me and Olivia, my wife at that time, uh, to to uh, Europe to Italy to go run in the World Masters Games. I won a couple of World Masters Games uh, championships titles, 
and came home and I said, Coach, I gotta, I, I still feel called. I gotta break the world record in the in the in the steeplechase. I missed it by a second and a half. I can't run any harder than I did last year, Coach. What do I do? He said, We're gonna double your mileage to 60, 60 miles a week, sixty five miles a week. Wow. And I'm like, Well, I can't. There's never. There's no way. My knee will never handle that kind of training. And he says, Well, then you, then you won't get the world record if it doesn't. But if you don't try it, you won't give the world record. I'm like, dang it, he's always right. So we came back, and uh, my my knee held. I uh, came back super strong. We took nine and a half seconds off the indoor three thousand meter world record in the same meet a year later, in that armory wow. meet, um, and and ran this impossibly fast. I was Sean. I was within nine seconds of my lifetime best three thousand meter uh, performance in your late forties at this. I point. was I was I was forty eight. Yeah. 48 years old. And then and then ran a steeplechase that with another injury involved. There's a lot more to the story. Um in June I ran a steeplechase so fast it would have it would have won the Big Sky Conference that year. And and the WAC and the Mountain West Conference Championships. Oh my gosh, bro. So, um in fact, the the world governing body wouldn't accept the time. And there was an inquiry made and they said, "Oh, please forgive us. When we programmed the computer so many years ago, we programmed it so that it would kick the default. It would kick out any unrealistic times. <laughs> you were that fast. You we, were unrealistic we've, as we've of a few reset years ago. the default. We broke the computer. <laughs> <laughs> we've reset the defaults. Please resubmit. It will be accepted. Congratulations to your no fine performance. Way. So, a couple things. Uh, uh, um, people come up after a speech and they say, "I love how you talked about we did this and we did that," and you never say, "I did this" or "I did that." And and uh, I do that on purpose. I'm very uncomfortable saying that I broke a world record because I didn't. I didn't. It was we. It was a team. It was mainly Coach and I that did this. But it was also my kids that did without some daddy time. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, a nutritionist and it was a doctor and it was a massage therapist. And there was a group of people that did this. This is the gospel. You know, I don't know if, if any of you listeners have ever had the experience where you're on your knees calling your coach after you've tripped up on your spouse's feet, got tangled up one of your teenager's heartaches, and fallen hard to the inside rail. But I got back up, and I got back to pace, and I stayed in the race. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in, you know, your spiritual stairwell at Barton Hall and you're calling your coach and you're saying, I can't do this. It's too hard. We go to church, we sit in gospel doctrine class and we say to each other, remember what we're doing here. And when we do, if this was easy right then it wouldn't give us it wouldn't give us what we need we're here to do hard things sean yeah. this is part of the plan right that's why it feels so good afterwards to do something hard you face a problem you solve it with god's help and others and and it feels good because we are built in our spiritual dna we are born to do hard things you know we sh- we we stood and shouted for joy when the cornerstones were laid. Hmm. You know, we shouted, we can do this. And I believe that God didn't just trick us into this, this way or that way. No, 
he showed, he had to show us how hard it was going to be. And we said, with you as our coach, our God, and, and, and with Christ as our Savior and our guide, we can do these hard things. We can go do things that have never did, been done before in our lives, right? And so I think that's, the, that's really the message of the gospel. We can do things, hard things, with our team. During the process, were you able to be grateful for the broken bones, for the times you fell short, or did that only come after? See, that's the, that's the thing. I'm starting to get to the point where it's a little bit easier I've uh, I took a really bad um, uh, collision with a uh, with a bike a, a biker on a running trail one one day and had a fairly severe concussion that took me out that broke my training cycle that was a, a year lost of training I was a I was four twenty mile fit at fifty two years old wow and I tripped and I banged my head again really bad concussion again broke my training cycle a whole year of training was gone I'm starting to get to the point where I know I, I've kind of come to from after one of those blows, and I go, this is going to be better, <laughs> a better story, right? Yeah. But back then, you know, when you're going through, it's really hard. But on a stage, right? Yeah. And, and I found out along the way that this is, this is something that's valuable to my audience. I can actually use these horrible failures of stories. Right. And, and it's not the success stories that, that people are, are benefiting from. It's the story. Really, I've broken more bones than I. Coach and I have broken m- more of my bones than we have records. <laughs> and, and, well, and truthfully, Brad, if, if the story was, I woke up, I felt called to it, and the following week I did it. Yeah. This conversation would be over. That's I mean, right. there's not, you know, the story is that you kept getting up. What if you hadn't gotten up one of those times? What if you had just phoned it in and said, I'm done? I really am done. Or what if your coach had given up on you? What if in Barton Hall, your coach says, hey, Brad, we tried. I, I so destroyed my legs after I fell at, at Cornell that my legs were just empty. I mean, they, did, they were empty. And I had, I had a, a week now before this last, this last chance, a coach called the Columbia coach and got me into this, to this collegiate race. And actually, it was Olivia. I give her a ton of credit for a lot of things. But she, uh, she says, Brad, just go. Just go, and I said, "Well, honey, I I don't have any legs for this. My my legs are empty. I can't even do an interval workout." She says, "You're never going to be this fit again in your life. Just go and see what happens." Mm, Wow! And she inspired me to get on that plane. So again, you know, um, it's it's the team that did it, and I got there, and my legs had recovered enough that I was able to go and run that fast. I have no doubt that our our listeners are now in love with your whole story. They want to know more about you. Fortunately, there's a book they can read. Yeah, I. This is one of those callings. I felt like compelled to write a book, and the book is called Beyond Illusions: the the power of the magic, of, the power of positive perception, and it's been it's done really well. It's been translated into Greek mm. and and <laughs> French and Turkish, if you can believe wow. it. People are loving this book, and and uh, you can buy this book at Brad. Uh, Bart, uh, bradspeaks.com Brad, so www.bradspeaks.com bradspeaks.com yep. and people can go and they can check out the book they can order it there and if people want to hire you to be a speaker at their event, same place I, I speak, speak all over I love, to, yeah. I love to speak, that's what I do and how I feed my family and, um, and yeah, bradspeaks.com you can, you find can come me. to your organization and tell this amazing 
incredible story. Brad, this has been phenomenal. I feel so uplifted. I uh, Before we started talking, I was dreading walking back up the stairs. Now I'm now I can do hard things. I can go up the stairs. And we can we can go. Um, Brad, this has been absolutely phenomenal, and I'm so inspired. I'm sure our uh, our listeners are. Anything else you want to cover before I ask you the final question? I, I I we didn't talk enough about the the spiritual part of my story, and I just I guess I just want to do a blanket statement. God lives, and He knows each of us. Mm. And he knows us and he will plant miracles in our lives. And we've just got to be open to them and uh, be open and listening to them. When we pray in the morning, let's listen after we pray. <laughs> and then let's listen all day long and have a prayer in our heart. God lives. Um, the, the the gospel was restored through prophets. And uh, we got a prophet today. And I just, I don't know if it's okay. We didn't talk about being barren testimony. But God God is part of this work. And and um, he, he's he's um, he's doing miracles. This is a, a revelatory church, and all of us qualify for revelation. No matter where we're at, God will give us revelation. Oh, it's awesome. Well, you somewhat answered my final question a little bit, but I still want to hear. I still want to hear specifically after the world record, after all the broken bones, after the divorce, the pain, the finding Melissa, the beehives after. Everything you've been through, what I kind of wonder is our final question, Brad. What does being a member of the church mean to you? Mm. That is a foundation of my life. It is. Um, it's kind of the air that I that I and my family breathe. It's uh, it's hope and it's joy. It's not just hope for joy. It's joy right now. And um, it's living to a degree in the spirit, you know, hopefully to a greater degree um, than, than a lesser degree all the time. But having the Holy Ghost with me is, uh, is really, it, it really guides me in my life. And that's what I think uh, being a member of the church means to me is living, living in the spirit as much as I'm willing to accept it. You know, I, I, we get to think that, that God is either going to do this spirit thing to us or not. <laughs> and I really am coming to believe that it's us that, do, that does the deal. We either are going to be open to the spirit that God is begging to pour on us or we're, or we're closing ourselves off to that. Right. So let's be open. That's what it means to me. Gosh, I love it. He is a beekeeper, he is an author, <laughs> uh, an author, a speaker, a magician, a runner, a husband, a world record holder, and a newlywed, somewhat. Almost. And hopefully more world records. So <laughs> and hopefully to, more world records we're, to come. We're training hard. You're still to, training. We've got some, some masters, M50 as they call it, um, world records that we're going to try and break this spring. Awesome. After well, yet another broken bone. <laughs> well, keep us posted, and, and we'll keep telling your story on Facebook and, and uh, through the podcast. And Brad, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. And my tremendous thanks to Brad Barton. What an incredible story. I was so inspired by him persevering and getting those records and fighting through the pain and the difficulty. And also... Uh, the joy that he has found after going through such a painful, difficult divorce. And, you know, I've never been through anything like that. But this week in my Latter-day life, I got to thinking back at uh, some of the painful times in my life and some of the blessings 
that have come from that pain. Uh, I've mentioned on the podcast before that uh, I dated a girl for a while and actually moved to Southern California to be closer to that girl. And that didn't work out. She ended up meeting a great guy and I met Vanessa down there. I met my wife because of it. And I've mentioned that before, but I got to thinking about that time in my life and something else that uh, came out of that time. Um, I'm not the kind of guy who has a ton of close guy friends. I have a lot of friends, but you know, I don't do guy weekend. I hear that a lot or guys go camping or whatever. I don't do much of that. Uh, There are only a few male friends of mine that I talk to often. You've actually met a lot of my friends if you're a regular listener. There are only probably three or four guys that I talk to on a regular basis just to talk. We've had Jason Bringhurst from Rocky Mountain Sunshine blog. He and I talk pretty much once a week or so. I've got another friend named Seth who I talk to regularly. But uh, another friend actually came out of this difficult period of time as I had moved to Southern California and instantly, as soon as I got there, this relationship ended and I was down there by myself and through prayer, I felt like I should really stay there, but I really didn't have any friends. So I started just going to the Arlington Fourth Ward, which was the young single adult ward uh, down in Riverside. And on my first Sunday there, a really nice guy named Mike stopped and said hello to me. And we chatted for a few minutes. And I remember noting what a nice guy he was. I bumped into him the following weekend at a church dance and then again at an activity. And I just kept bumping into him. And shortly after I had moved there, he and I got to talking and he was asking me what brought me down there. And I shared with him this heartbreak I had just gone through and the pain of it. And Mike had the coolest 1963 Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) It's just the coolest bug. And he and I went and sat in the bug one night and for hours, he told me about a girl that he had been dating out of the UK and how she had broken his heart. And I shared what I had kind of gone through and we were sort of like, what's next? Well, that created this bond. That pain created a bond between the two of us. We started hanging out a lot. In fact, we hung out so much that we ended up renting a house together with another friend of ours, Aaron, and uh, we actually called that house Old Man Old Man Palmer's Groove Palace. That's another story for another day, but it was sort of the fun hangout house of the YSA ward, and gosh, Mike and I had just amazing times. We bonded in such an incredible way and just became best of friends, and then I got married. And I moved to Utah. He moved to Utah. (laughs) And we hung out still all the time. Then he got married, started having a family, and he moved back to Southern California. Here we are. I'm in Utah. He's in Southern California. But pretty much not a week goes by that we don't check in with each other, whether it's just a silly text, a phone call, something on Facebook. Uh, Mike is like a brother to me. And as I lost my brother a few years ago, that role has become even more important to me. And I met Mike because uh, I moved down to Southern California and I followed the spirit. And even though there was some pain involved, that's what bonded us. Last year, Mike and I flew to Denver together for one night just to go to a concert. We share a tremendous love of music. We share a love of the Lakers. We share a love of a lot of great things. And a lot of those things I love, I love because I associate them with Mike. And that's just one of the many things in my life that's such a huge blessing that... uh, that have come out of pain. And I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for friends this week. I'm grateful for when things burn down, what comes back and grows even stronger. And I can trace so many blessings of my life 
to trials that I've had, and that from those trials come the greatest blessings. And I just have to figure out how to be more grateful for the bless or for the trials that I have in my life today. I have to figure out how can I be grateful for them today and anticipate what growth will come from it. Because when you're in the moment, gosh, it sure is tough. But I am grateful for my trials. Being an old man now, I can say that pretty confidently. I have enough experiences that I know that the good comes. And that's what's happening this week in my latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. Gosh, if you think of someone who would enjoy the show, if you could share it with them, you may have to even teach them how to use a podcast. That's what I spend a lot of my time doing is showing people how to open or install a podcast app and listen. But uh, we just would really appreciate it. Or if you get a chance to review the show, we love five-star reviews. We love any reviews, but we especially love the five-star ones. If you could follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And if you want to reach me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. And until next week, when we've got another fantastic guest for you, please remember, as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. 